Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. I am here today with Dr. Alan Meltzer. Dr. Alan Meltzer received his dental degree from the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine, where he graduated with honors. He completed his certification training in periodontics and oral medicine and received his Master of Science in Dentistry at the Boston University School of Graduate Dentistry. He pursued training in the advanced management of TMJ disorder at Georgetown University School of Dental Medicine in Washington, D.C., and his surgical and prosthetic implant training at the Brennermark Clinic in Gothenburg, Sweden. Dr. Meltzer is a diplomat of the American Board of Periodontology and one of 77 people in the world to have been given a diplomat status at the Academy of Osseointegration, where he served on its research and education committee. Dr. Meltzer has also served as a chairman of the Department of Graduate Periodontics at Temple University. He has also received international acclaim through his numerous publications and by presenting his innovative techniques and knowledge before various professional academies across the world. Dr. Meltzer is also now a clinical professor at the University of Pennsylvania in the postgraduate periodontics program. In addition to all of these incredible achievements, while Dr. Meltzer's training and dual board certification attests to his knowledge and training, his reputation is based on his outstanding clinical skill and patient care. He has been featured in the New Jersey Magazine as a top doc and in Dentistry Today magazine as one of the top 100 international leaders in dentistry. Dr. Meltzer, what an incredible list of achievements. It is such an honor to have you here today. Thank you, and I think it's important for me to say that I still put my pants on one leg at a time. So, I'm proud of what I've done, but being a human being still comes first. Of course, of course. So the first thing I want to ask you, Dr. Meltzer, is for our listeners who might not know, what is a periodontist? And then more importantly, what I want to know is what was your reasoning behind going into this speciality of dentistry? Two very good questions. And I think the short answer to what is a periodontist is let's break down what periodontist mean. Perio around dentist or dentistry teeth. So we deal with everything in and around the mouth, basically, except teeth themselves. That doesn't mean that we can't do those things, but we are experts in the support of teeth, in the health of the gum tissue, in the health of bone, in the general way that these things impact the patient's general health. So to me, it is um, almost, some people call it plastic surgery of the mouth, but it's more than that. We have to be experts in diagnosis. Anything we do, diagnosis has to come first. Treatment comes second. One of my favorite things about being a periodontist is I often tell our patients, we don't do procedures. We provide results. Mm. And I call it outcomes. So we use procedures to achieve a result. We're just not doing things for the sake of doing things. It has to lead to a specific outcome that the patient and I and my staff agree is the end point we're going to. Mm. So to me, that's, that's what makes periodontics so special. Some people say, as I said, plastic surgery of the mouth. I think that early in my career, I was vacillating back and forth between do I become a periodontist or do I become an oral surgeon? And um, I did a lot of exploration and I had great opportunities in both arenas. And um, 
both arenas have evolved over that time. So I have a lot of respect for our oral surgical colleagues, and hopefully they have a lot of respect for us as, as, as periodontists. But the turning point to me was, in a broad sense, oral surgery is a little bit like in medicine being a general surgeon. You need general surgeons. They're very good. They're very talented. But periodontists deal more with reconstructive projects, mm. very much involved with aesthetic outcomes, very much involved with making things look right, doing things properly. And, and is that what uh, called you in that direction? It uh, did. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought that one re was more refined and one was more gross. And mm. that's not in any way uh, demeaning my oral surgical colleagues because we work with them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a collaboration to do those things. Is I, there a mentor the that you look back on that really had an impact on your life? I think there are, there are two. Between my freshman and second year in dental school, I received a fellowship to work on a project. And it was a periodontal project with a gentleman named Harley Sullivan, who uh, was one of the innovators in soft tissue grafting in the oral cavity. And through him, I saw the, the fine motor skills and things that you really needed to develop to, to do that. And that was turning point number one. Turning point number two is more when I looked into where I saw myself going. I, I like the, the delicacy and the art of periodontics. Mm. Um, when I got in my program, there's a well-known periodontist whose name is uh, Ron Nevins, Myron Nevins, who was one of my mentors, and another gentleman named uh, Gerald Kramer, who ran my postgraduate program, also well-known in the field. And, and they really helped shape my career and, and realize things that were going on. Another person early on uh, was a fellow named Morris Rubin, who is an expert in uh, wound healing. And I learned so much from him and so much that everything we do is based on wound healing. And it developed wow. my interest in that. So I think there's a small group and, and there were others. And if I'm leaving any of my mentors out, they'll be offended. <laughs> I certainly hope not. But those were people that really stick in my mind as really helping me become the periodontist that I became. Mm. Because it seems like you took elements of each of those specialists and what they taught you and then combined it to create who you are today and how you look at periodontics and, and oral surgery. Correct. And I think that um, what I tell my residents, you know, I can help you, I can train you, I, you know, I, I can guide you. But at the end of the day, it's going to take you five to seven years to figure out who you are and what your philosophy is. Mm -hmm. And so I think anybody who does anything well has to take all these loose pieces and kind of put them in a blender and then separate it back out to make you who you are as a unique person. That's very well said. I, I really like that. And over, of course, over the years from, as I've said, it's, it's remarkable to have seen um, just the amount of time from, from an early age that you've invested in this. So you've been there from many of the big advancements that we've seen in in recent years and over the last few decades you you have been there 
how how has the field of periodontics and implantology evolved during your career and what are some emerging technologies or techniques that that you're really excited about uh, um, for for the future i am in some ways very happy about what i've seen and in other words ways very sad and concerned about what i've seen so um to tell you a little bit about it without getting too long and winded, sometime around the late 80s, I attended a meeting at the uh, Philadelphia Academy or Society of Periodontics. And the speaker was a gentleman who said, you can cure this disease with a, a microscope and by brushing your teeth with peroxide and baking soda. And um, I sat in that meeting and the gentleman that was sitting to my side, who was also a professor with me, said, wow, this is really going to change what we do. And I'm very concerned. And I said, I am too, but I also see this opportunity. And the big change that happened is we used to be able to see cases early on that were very manageable and treatable in an earlier stage of treatment. Those are now, unfortunately, and this is the unfortunate being mismanaged until they reach a critical stage. Mm. So at that point in my career, I made certain adjustments and developed an expertise in regenerative periodontics, bone regeneration and implants, realizing that within the next decade, the cases that we were going to see are no longer these moderate cases that could be very successfully treated. But now we're getting handed what, you know, we call in America, Hail Marys, you know, you know, you've got to kind of, you're the end game. Make some magic. Yeah. You need to make some magic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my patients, I asked them shortly after it happened, why are you here? And they said, because I've heard you're the last stop on the (laughs) train. And, And it shifted from being able to really help people and we still help them, but I would feel much better if I could intercept these things at earlier stages, Mm. which has sort of unfortunately gone by the wayside and to some extent fell in the hand of insurance companies that decided to manage things. I was just about to ask you if it's this, is that insurance companies and the system that you feel has, has baked these bad behaviors within the dental system or the steps that we take as a patient within dentistry? Do you feel that has been baked in because of the the bad behavior of insurance companies, if I could put yeah. it that way? A friend of mine once said, when somebody tells you it's not about the money, it's about the money. <laughs> and, I think that, and I think that that's really true. I yeah. think that, you know, people have become businessmen instead of therapists and doctors. And I see that in medicine as well, and, you know, and not just in, in dentistry. And, um, you know, you've either got to work within the system or pretend you're Don Quixote and go out and try to joust with windmills, which doesn't work. So mm. you have to evolve. It's, it's part of an evolutionary process, part of which the newer technologies are good. And part of which I say, gee, I wish we didn't need all those technologies because if we intercepted the disease earlier, we, we wouldn't have to be supermen to try mm. and fix these things. Mm. And the patient and would benefit from that ultimately the most because of just how much more, as you said, you can actually help them when it is at an earlier stage than rather you being 
okay, now Dr. Meltzer wave the magic wand and make me make me perfect again. Because that's yeah. unfortunately not how it works every time, uh, no, especially if you wait too long. It's good if that we have these new technologies of to course. deal with these advanced cases. Mm -hmm. But, gee, if you could prevent the disease, who wouldn't be in favor of that rather than having to go and really start treating the disease? Of so course. It's, it's a double-edged sword. It's mm -hmm. a double-edged sword. And, and if we look at specific advancements in, in terms of types of treatments, two that have really stood out for me is the all-on-X procedure and then the regenerative bone growth, which I'm hoping you can speak to. If you maybe want to start with the all-on-X, uh, what you've seen there in your time and, and where that treatment is going in dentistry. Well, again, all-on-X originally started out with the idea uh, and I was trained very early by the father of dental implants to do this. And it sort of started as a last resort. Save your teeth and then do this. And it's now evolved into, um, again, partially through insurance companies and marketing, into people saying, oh, I'll just have all my teeth out and I'll have a mouthful of dental implants and my dental problems will go away, mm. which these things need to be maintained also. So part of the all on X growth is the result of people like myself that received advanced training early on to try to provide these Hail Mary cases with a solution other than dentures. Mm. And um, yes, we do a lot of dental implants. In my career, I've placed 30,000 dental implants. Wow. <laughs> so it's nothing we're not familiar with. We were one of the um, first people to be involved with the all on X procedure and uh, wrote one of the early papers on it. So I really believe in it. I, I, I think it's a great therapy. It addresses a patient's function. It addresses a patient's aesthetics. And if it's done properly, it's maintainable over time. Hmm. The trouble now is everybody sees this as a huge profit center and therefore everybody wants to do it. And Everybody is going to take a weekend course or a two-month course and saying, I can do this. And here's the big warning. If you as a practitioner are not prepared to handle the complications that go along with that procedure, and however good you are, complications always show up, then you should not be doing the procedure in the first place. Mm. If you can't handle the follow-up care and the complications. Mm. And I think what we're going to see in the next decade is um, a lot of these peri-implant failures coming to the fore. And uh, that's a sad commentary, but I, I, I'm a pretty good prognosticator. It's true. No, I, 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 I truly do agree with you. Um, I think it's very well put because, as you said, there is this money grab of when, when these new hot topic treatments come onto the market, people are going to be searching for it on Google. People are going to be looking for it. And very often, as you were saying, it's not necessarily the best specialist that will show up. It's the one with the best marketing that will show up. So as the, the patient, you need to make sure that you're not just going to anybody if, if you're not sure that they can, as you just said, handle the complications that come up because it doesn't matter how good you are. It, it can happen. It can yeah, happen. And, and the answer goes, you know, a little bit farther. And, and I've said this to some people. A lot of people look at this and look online to find the cheapest place to get it done. Mm. You know, their decision is based on price. And what I'd say to you 
you're not going to a store to buy a television in a box where <laughs> that television is the same in the same box wherever you buy it. Go look for the best price. I'm all <laughs> in. Go to, I go look for the best price. But that's not the situation here. The situation here is you have people with less training who are marketing based on price. And you can't do the same thing cheaper unless you cut corners. Exactly. And what I said to somebody is, look, you have a physician. You love your physician. You trust the physician implicitly. He's your general physician, your internist. And one day you wake up and you find out that unfortunately you have a brain tumor. And that physician turns to you and says, no worries. I just took a three-day course in neurosurgery and I can do your brain tumor. Are you going to go there? Or maybe no. you'd say, well, maybe I should find a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. and have him do this as a specialist. And I think people see that when it comes to heart disease and brain tumors and cancer and other things. But yet when it comes to something like dental implants, and let's face it, we're drilling a hole in somebody's skull and implanting an orthopedic device. You can mess that up big time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, do you want somebody with that's done it thousands and thousands of times and had years and years of training? Or do you want to find somebody that took a weekend course and, and markets it and says, we'll do it for half price? Mm. Your choice. Your choice. That, I can't that, be the policeman of the Western Hemisphere, but, you know, you know, maybe put your toe in the water before you jump in. You know, it may be something in there you don't want. hundred percent, doctor. I completely agree. And that is that also touched on one of the questions I, I i wanted to ask you is why somebody should see a specialist or somebody such as yourself and i think you or, or if there's anything else you wanted to elaborate on but i think you touched on it perfectly why should somebody see a specialist instead of just going to their local general dentist when it comes to to gum disease or replacing missing teeth or or any type of oral surgery that needs to happen well the answer is very simple Either I wasted four years of my life going back and doing advanced training, and it was a total waste, and I learned nothing and can't benefit my patients from it, or maybe we really did learn something, and maybe we really did learn how to manage these cases better, and maybe you do need more than a weekend course. Mm. And, uh, you know, so, so that's one way of looking at it. Was I an idiot for wasting that time and I should have just done a weekend course and done what everybody else does? Or is it important that we spent that time and learned the science and the wound healing and, and all these things? Half my mentors I would have never met if I didn't go into postgraduate training. Mm. Mm. I guess that's the best answer I could give you. So yeah. it's either smart for doing it and knowing how to better take care of my patients or I wasted four years of my life. I, mm. I, and, um, I don't I mean, think the, I wasted the, uh, my time. Of course. That's what I was going to yeah. say. I think the answer is pretty easy that those <laughs> extra years and the professionals you work with in that uh, uh, postgraduate training and, and after courses that you do for so many years, of course, you're going to learn things that somebody else doesn't. And that's the difference between having the perfect result and something that the patient is not happy with or has to keep coming back for because it wasn't done correctly the first time. Yes, and technology helps us, but 
what we do is always going to be a marriage of science or tech science will include technology and science and art mm. you know that's, that's an important that's one. what makes that's what makes things great that's what gives you a great aesthetic outlook mm. you know um and a great aesthetic outcome so you know now all these things oh you know we can build a surgical guide for you and ai will do this for you it'll do part of it but but you, you know, still need the doctor yeah 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 you know and you can have somewhat ai guided but you still need somewhat of brain guided you know? mm -hmm. and and now that you're speaking of of ai um, obviously something fairly new in the in the world of dentistry i've i've been looking into it quite a bit um, something else that's also new that I mentioned earlier that I definitely still want to touch on is the regenerative periodontics. And how hopeful are you about the potential of regrowing lost bone and tissue in the future? What, what have you seen in that field? Well, I think that probably about 25 years ago with a friend of mine, Kevin Murphy, um, we wrote a book on regenerative periodontics. Wow. And I worked a lot with a company early on called W.L. Gore, the same company that makes, you know, Gore-Tex rain jackets and everything else, has a medical division. And we worked a lot in the field of bone regeneration and um, periodontal regeneration. And um, I'm proud to say I was one of the first people to really be involved with what was called GBR, guided bone regeneration. And um, that has progressed pretty well. Um, guided periodontal regeneration is still a little bit of, you know, we can hope for the best, but it has not reached the level of predictability that we would like. Do I That's think right. it will eventually? 100%, because things always evolve. But you need certain types of defects, you need certain kinds of situations for guided periodontal regeneration, GPR, to be successful. And the reason for that is, is if you're going to regrow periodontal support around teeth, you have to grow bone. You've got to regrow the ligament that holds the tooth to the bone. You've got to regrow the surface of the root that the ligament attaches to on the other side. You have to regrow connective tissue to develop the seal around the tooth. And to do all those things, um, that's a tremendous wound healing cascade. Mm. And it's very, very complicated to have all those things occur in the right sequence. Mm. And, and that's the challenge. Bone regeneration in some cases is easier. You're regenerating bone and it's associated vasculature. So GBR has become pretty well successful, still a lot of room for improvement. There's growth factors in both guided periodontal and guided bone regeneration. And we're moving in a very good direction, but We've still got a way to go, a further way in periodontal regeneration, I believe, than, than bone. But there's plenty of room for bone regeneration to improve as well. Fantastic. And, and what do you think that the, the first, you must just say the, the abbreviation for me again, where everything needs to work in sync. What's that regeneration called? Guided periodontal regeneration. Yes. So for that Some one, do you think, is, is that the next generation in periodontics for you, if we can achieve that, do you think that would be one of the most impactful things within periodontics and, and reconstructing yes. the jaw? If, if, we can, if we can regrow lost bone and you can lose bone in two directions, you know, think about a highway. All right. Mm. If you have a pothole in the high, highway, 
it's easy to fill in that pothole, okay? If you have to relay the whole road, so to speak, horizontal loss, you know, with a road grader, that's far more complicated to build that up than it is to fill in a defect. Mm. So guided periodontal regeneration right now is better based upon the anatomy of the defect rather than simply saying it's like a layer cake where we can just start putting layers back on. That mm. would be something that would be tremendous, but it's not quite there. Well, luckily we, we've had you to lay some of the groundwork, so I'm excited to see, to see where that goes. And we've, we've spoken, you touched a bit on in the States how some of the advancements, whether it's been the insurance companies and some of the things you think, you think is being done wrong in America to some of the advancements and how it's looked at. I want to know, as somebody that clearly belongs to multiple international societies and that's been published in multiple countries, uh, what have you seen in terms of significant differences in other countries uh, when it comes to practicing periodontics or oral surgery, implantology? Are there, are there anything that stood out to you that you've said, wow, this is different than how we do things in the States? I think um, in the States, a lot of people, um, I call them cowboys. You know, they go and they do a procedure without really the necessary understanding. And I think a lot more of the basic science of periodontics and regeneration is coming out of other parts of the world. Uh, Europe is very big on it. Scandinavia mm. is big on it. Germany is pretty big on it. Um, Northern Italy is pretty big on it. And if I'm leaving anybody out, I apologize. There are people all over the world that excel at this in some of the strangest places you'd ever want to meet. So I don't want anybody to feel that I'm leaving them out. But I think that the science plays a bigger role in, in the European market than mm. it does in the American market. And of okay. course, that's a generalization. And I always like to say all generalizations are false, including this <laughs> one. So so I, I think that it's it's a challenge, but I think that's that's what I see. There's, there's a little more scientific approach. Some of the, the better articles, and again, there's always exceptions, are coming out of the European journals more than out of the American journals. And it's wonderful that I have friends, you know, all, all over the world. One of my best friends that I wrote papers with is a gentleman named Tetsiano Testori, who practices um, in the Milan area. Tremendous, tremendous clinician. You know, Marcus Herzler who practices in Southern Germany. These are great thinkers mm. in, the, in this field. You know, Daniel Busser, great thinkers in this field of regeneration. And there are numerous others. These are just ones that are, are on the tip of my tongue right now. But, um, and there are many, many of these. But I, I think that this collaboration, this bringing together of the world and, you know, Sometimes we in America think, oh, we're the greatest, we're the best, you know, everybody should look at us. Well, in some ways they should, and in other ways they shouldn't. We can learn from a lot of other people, and we need that in science and medicine. To improve. And a lot of people mm. can learn from us. And, and mm. I think that's, that to me is the great hope. As the world's gotten smaller, you know, we can share ideas and concepts on a much broader scale to the mm. benefit of our patients, all of them. Of course, of course. And, and speaking of the patients, 
there are some questions we, we spoke a bit to the industry as a whole now and advancements and and the science behind it but if we bring it to the patient side i wanted to ask you about the fact that we see that gum disease is a relatively common dental issue that people deal with not just in the u.s but around the world and i want to know from you with someone who has so much experience why do you think this is the case and uh, my follow-up would be, what are some of the warning signs that people should be looking out for at an early stage to prevent this? Well, I think that a lot of patients feel that if I have a problem, a dental problem, I'm going to have pain. Pain is not mm. a disease. Pain is a symptom, okay? And I say that to a lot of people, and I said to them, you know, they come in and they go, well, my gums are bleeding. Yes, so what? I said, well, let me ask you a question. If you woke up one morning and your fingernails were bleeding and blood was coming out of your cuticles, would you be concerned? And those early stages of gum disease, one of the earliest signs is bleeding gums or receding gums. And there are others, but that's probably a, a universal early sign that, gee, I ought to look into this. And people don't. And it's only because we don't have the opportunity to see this disease at its incipient stages where it can be cured. You can cure gingivitis, cure mm. it. You can't cure periodontitis, you can treat it. Mm. And if we can get into that earlier, I don't know why people don't consider bleeding gums something to be concerned A big warning about. sign, yeah. It is a very big warning sign. And, and part of it, I think, is I'm not having pain. Well, everybody's gums bleed. Well, no, not everybody's gums bleed, but it's prevalent, as you said. So therefore, it's sort of become, it's okay, just brush your teeth more or something like that. And all these advances, you know, the regenerative periodontics we've talked about and dental implants that we've talked about, to a great extent, that could be avoided if we intercepted this disease earlier. And we don't. And maybe it's partly money. Maybe it's partly insurance. Maybe it's partly, I hate going to the dentist, you know, and it's okay. We can do a little treatment now that you can pay me for, or you can run up a really big bill later to fix it. Mm -hmm. The choice that's, is yours. That's what, that's what patients often misunderstand is that waiting is often not, and, and I'll go back to maybe a car example since we've been using are you going to, if something is rattling in your car and it sounds broken, are you just going to keep waiting and think that it's going to be less expensive to fix nine months from now or 10 months from now? No, of course it's going to be more expensive because it's probably going to cascade into more problems. So why do you think that's the case when it comes to oral health? It's, it's not. To all of our listeners, it is not the case. You should not do that. That's correct. But also look at things like women. Women go for mammography. They don't go to, for mammography necessarily because they've had pain. They're going to find a disease mm. that, that could alter their life in an earlier stage. People go to ophthalmologists to look for glaucoma so they don't go blind. People are you know, told to go get a colonoscopy you know, to make sure that they don't have uh, you know, early stages of cancer. So this is done in, in medicine routinely. But there's also a lot of people that just avoid it. You know, mm -hmm. And then their stage zero cancer becomes stage four cancer, and then they pass it's away. It's a bigger, yeah. It's, no. you know, but it's it's in human nature, you know, maybe just 
push it under the rug and it'll it'll go away and it usually doesn't so i would encourage people to be more proactive if you have bleeding gums come see us mm-hmm. you know you could probably save yourself thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars if you have a small cavity in your tooth go see your dentist before all of a sudden you need a root canal and a crown and everything else but i guess it's human nature i don't mm-hmm. know I, mm-hmm. I, I wish i had that answer I really do. It's puzzling. And one thing that plays into that that you just touched on briefly, which which we see so often is not wanting to go to the dentist because of just being scared. And even though it's human nature to put it under the rug, as you said, I think most people know that it is better to address the problem early, but they still have that fear or just wait until it becomes a real problem. Are there any myths or common misconceptions that you've seen when it comes to dentistry, periodontics, implantology, you can, you can pick what, what you've found that you've encountered that you, that people have this idea, but it, it, it's simply just not the case. Well, I, I think that pain management has changed a lot, but the most significant thing is if you catch these problems early, a lot of the fear factor is not there because hmm. You won't need surgery. You you know, if you go in for cleanings and have sealants put on your children's teeth, they probably won't have cavities with fluoride or far less. So it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't want to go to the dentist because it's going to be expensive and it's going to hurt. So you wait and now you go in and it's and expensive it's, yeah. and you need more treatment. <laughs> And it's more uncomfortable. So, yeah. you know, so it's it's a real dilemma, Ian. And I, I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer because these dental diseases are so undertreated. And part of it is the magic word in English that starts with M and ends with Y, money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people people choose, well, it's not really bothering me that much, you know. I, you know, I I don't need to spend the money. And then they'll go out and buy a pair of Gucci sneakers for $900. (laughs) So it's a matter of priority that it comes down to is the problem. Sure, Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. We've all seen that. We've all seen that. In all phases of life. And not, of course, we get the cases of dental anxiety and the people that don't come in. But then we have the other side of this uh, equation of people that are more proactive and that that do when they realize something is happening come to you can you maybe tell us about one or two of the most rewarding aspects of of your job and share maybe a, mer- a memorable experience where somebody did come to you they've hit bottom barrel and you just change their world because i know that happens that happens all the time in, in this practice and one of the reasons for that is when we first meet with a patient We explain to them that we're not here to just do procedures. We are going to listen to you and we want to achieve an outcome that fulfills your needs. And to fulfill your needs, there are four phases of every case that we treat. When we're done, we want it to look good. We want it to work. It's got to be successful. We want the result to be maintainable over time. And we have to do that within the budget that you provide us. If I do that, I win every single day. And that's, and that's our mantra here 
of the way we like to treat patients. Not, oh, you have a toothache, let's do this. Oh, you have a mm-hmm. Because that just becomes, you know, throwing darts all over the place. A co- one case that comes to mind is there was a lady that we saw several years ago that came to me from the Midwest, from Missouri, and she was in a skydiving accident. And the parachute partially deployed, and it was caught on video, by the way. I think we oh, have wow. some video. And you see her spinning as this, and to make the long story short, she hits the parking lot. Um, she lives, breaks her pelvis, her femurs, crushes part of her face, does all this. And she came to us for reconstruction. And when she went to the hospital before she came to us, because she had all these other injuries that needed to be dealt with. And they said, oh, and by the way, you're pregnant. So the baby baby survived. She survived. And we reconstructed her her mouth. And, uh, you know, she's been forever grateful. So, yeah, that. Or we have somebody else who had some oral cancer, lost all their teeth, had radiation therapy. We knew how to manage this. We managed it appropriately. And she came in looking like a bag lady and left looking like a model. Mm. And if I, you know, I mean, those cases still bring tears to my eyes. And there's lots of them. And the other thing is people call us all the time and go, you know, you're the only person that I called that had an emergency and you saw me on Saturday. You came in, you took care of my problem. You didn't tell me go to the emergency room. We're not open today. So it's a complex philosophy of, 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 of treatment. And, and mm. I think that's what makes cases rewarding, whether they be big cases that end up on Oprah or, you know, or other TV shows or they're small cases. There's people attached to these teeth and you want to change their life. Yeah, my, my I don't dad... do dentistry. I like to change people's lives. Yeah. No, I love that. That's my dad always says it's not two rows of teeth with a with a protoplasm. I think I'm saying that correctly around it. Yes, yes. There's a person in there. So, Because he himself is also a dentist and he would always say that he's he's when I asked him, Dad, what what is some of the advice that you got? He said there was a, a lecturer that I had in my third year and he said to me, just always remember, it's not a row of teeth with a protoplasm around that's a soul in a human and a, and a person behind there that you're treating. And I think you touched on that perfectly. Yeah. You, you know, we provide a valuable service. And if all you're doing is doing procedures, you as a dentist are cheating yourself. Mm. You're cheating for yourself at a fulfillment of a career that you've chosen that you could take to a whole different level. So if there's any young dentists listening to this podcast, I would say that to them. Never lose sight of the outcome. Never lose sight of the fact that there's people attached to these teeth. And treat people so that you're going to give them a functional and aesthetic and maintainable result. You do that, you get fulfillment. Nothing's better than fulfillment. And you'll get the respect of your peers. Mm. Mm. That's perfectly said. And the, the last question that I have for you today, Dr. Meltzer, is about your practice and um, the the practice that you own and the experience that you that you provide to your patients. If if I was in New Jersey and I need a periodontist, so I have missing teeth or I'm struggling with my gums, and I find you online and I need to go see Doctor Meltzer, what am I getting at this practice 
that's different and and what can i expect in that patient experience which puts you above uh just going to a, a general dentist or somebody else in the area you're going to get an outcome you are going to get people that care about you you are not going to be a number you are going to be a person that we take care of we are not running a delicatessen where you get the next number and let's see how fast we can get them in and get them out. That is the kind of practice that you're going to find yourself in as a patient if you base everything solely on price and everything else. I hear this all day long. You're going to get me or my associate highly, highly trained treating you. I hear all the time, yes, I went to the dentist and every time I go in, I get to see somebody else because the other person left. That's that's a mm. factory. That's not a dental practice. You mm. are going to get a high-quality dental practice with people that care about you and a staff that will set up a case appropriately for you, and we can deal with that here. Either working with your dentist, if you have one, or we can provide comprehensive care for you here. So we, we walk that line. If you have a dentist you love and you need specialty care, we're happy to provide the care and work with your dentist. If you don't have somebody, then come see us and we'll get you on the right path. You you can't find somebody with more experience and and more know-how. So I mean, it's for me, it's a no-brainer if you to to come and see you. It's I I think that your credentials and and your love for this and your passion for this speaks for itself. And on that note, I want to say. Dr. Meltzer, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's I'm humbled with your knowledge in this field and um, just honored to have this time to be able to speak with you. Thank you so much. I hope that I can have you on again. I'd love to come on again and thank you. I hope that um, my message goes out to patients and goes out to practitioners and they may not agree with everything that I've said, but listen to it and take some of the points, keep some, reject others, and decide who you are and what you want in your future. Perfectly said. Thank you so much, doctor. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me.